the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Worship is both emotional and intellectual. It's both. We need songs that make us think more. You're right, we do. We need songs that make us feel more, too, though. Praise to the God who reigns above. This is another thing we need to be careful to avoid. That true worship requires a certain setting or a certain environment. And descends in perfect love. People will always argue that their preference for worship is the correct one. And this manifests itself in several ways that we must be careful to avoid. See, our attitude of worship is tested by life, not by how reverent or excited we are during song time. You can come here and you can jump up and down. You can sing with all your heart. But if you go out and you're disobedient or you're going out there and you're, you know, God puts a test in front of you and you just go and do whatever you want and you complain and moan, then I don't really know what the singing was good for. But your precious life you spent. See, the singing is supposed to be the culmination of that. That God has brought trials into our lives and we're saying, Lord, I trust you in the midst of these trials. Hello and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. The amazing creator of the universe, the great I Am, kept his promise. The children of Israel were finally free from Egypt. Not only did God wipe out the land but he made it where Egypt would never come after Israel in the future. The Israelites crossed through the Red Sea as if walking on dry land. The watered walls they walked between came crushing down on the pursuing Egyptian army. Truly, God is an amazing God. In Exodus chapter 15, we have been looking at a song that Moses sang and caused the rest of the Israelites to sing as well. Then Miriam, Moses' sister, showed the people how to sing and dance unto the Lord, praising God for all that he has done. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. Notice here they also danced. Interesting here. Now, I'm pretty sure this is not the grinding club dancing that we see oftentimes out in society. In fact, I'm sure of it because the word here for dance means to circle dance. And this is a processional dance that's common even today amongst Jewish celebrations. Very frequently you would have the, the women, if you watch these guys, they go quick. You would have the the women on the inside of the circle and the men on the outside, and they usually go opposite directions. And so, you know, have the women going around, they're skipping around and whatever, and then you have the guys going the opposite direction, skipping around and stuff. And then, you know, they'll kind of interweave, and, you know, I would be, like, knocked out. I'd run into somebody. So, But that's probably what this is referring to here, where probably what happened was is the congregation's all singing, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. They get to the end of the song, and then the women would come out in a procession behind Miriam, and they would go around the congregation, and they would sing. I'm not Jewish, so we're not going to do that here. I get asked all the time, can, can Christians dance? And with total seriousness, I must say to you, some can and some can't. 
And I've seen some of you that can't. <laughs> some of you shouldn't. <laughs> no. I grew up in a, and again, if you've come from this background, uh, no offense, I grew up in a semi-Pentecostal environment where we don't, you don't dance, you don't chew, you don't date girls that do. That's just how it worked, okay? You didn't play cards. There's a lot of things you didn't do. And so we didn't do any of that. You only had the, you know, Holy Ghost hop. You ever seen that? Right? Nobody saw that? You need to go visit a Pentecostal church just to see that because it's weird. So nobody dances like that but them. So I had a buddy of mine who was a very expressive individual. He liked to jump up and down and liked to do all that and stuff. And, and he said to me, he said, can I do that at church? And I said, no. I said, uh, you can do it in your own, your own personal space. I said, but I don't know if a church environment is the best place for that unless everyone else is doing it because... Maybe for me, it's just me. That would be incredibly distracting if it's just one person that's hopping up and down and you, you know, you're just kind of you know, looking around. And you know, It would become extremely distracting for me. Granted, now, if everybody in the environment's doing it, then it's not a distraction and it's probably fine. I guess what I'm saying is, is I think each congregation is different in regards to this. Some congregations, the way they dance is they, you know, and then some, you know, sway a little bit, you know. You know and then others, you know, they're, you know. Good calisthenics, so, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, Pastor Chuck always used to say, you know, some people need to hang from the chandelier to feel God, and some people just need to sit down, and that's that's how they are. I, I'm going to get into this a little bit in a moment, but we're all different, and that's okay. But the idea was is that dancing was okay, you know, as long as it was obviously not sensual. The idea here is just, you know, you're you're happy, you're celebrating, so. I'm running out of time, but here we see there are also exhortations to the congregation. Now, nobody likes the worship leader who goes on and on and on and on and on, okay? Nobody likes the worship leader who's playing his instrument and he's like, and Lord, we just Lord. Lord, we just Lord. We thank you because we're thankful. And they're so busy playing their instrument, they can't concentrate, and they don't realize they've just repeated the same thing seven or eight times. Nobody likes that, okay? And I'm not saying that, but there is a place for exhortation. There is a place to say, hey, let's sing, guys. Let's sing out. Or, hey, guys, let's surrender our lives. Hey, guys, maybe, you, you, maybe you're struggling today. Give it to him. There, there is a place for that. that you know, some people believe the worship leader should just sit up there and be quiet and, be, you know, and just do it. And, and, and there's times for that, too, to not say anything and just get out of the way. What I'm saying is there are times also to exhort the congregation. Both are right and both could be wrong in different situations. So there were exhortations because that was the whole purpose of what Miriam did to exhort the congregation. Now, you notice here, uh, we look at this and we say, wow, that's a lot of components of worship. Wow, I mean, th- this, is, this is true worship. This is how worship should be. But, but notice there's a lot of other components of worship that aren't here. We didn't talk about lifting up the hands or kneeling. We didn't talk about any weeping. We didn't talk about shouting for joy. We didn't see any of those things here that the Bible exhorts in other areas of Scripture. And, and I think that's important because sometimes we'll read sections of Scripture and we go, aha, that's what worship looks like. That's how worship should be. But there's a problem when you look at components of worship and try to define worship by its components. Turn to John chapter 4 with me because here is a fascinating conversation between Jesus and this woman at the well. In verse 19, right after Jesus busts her, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. But you might be a prophet, but I got a bone to pick with you. And she says in verse 20 of John chapter 4, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. It's fascinating because 
These conversations are quite regular for me as a pastor. Someone will come to me and go, you know, well, it's good what you're doing with worship, but you know, I just, I have some issues. And here's the truth. I could have one conversation one day and someone says, the worship is, is just too upbeat. You know, it needs to be more reverent. And the very next day, someone comes to me and goes, man, we need to celebrate more. And I'm like, okay. And then you have other, we need to go back to the old songs. Then the other people, we need to sing more new songs. It's literally every, every week I'll hear something, but it's, it's different every time. And it's the complete opposite at times. The worship wars are nothing new to our generation. They've been going on since the beginning of time. And here we see Jesus is, she's trying to get into it with him about worship. People will always argue that their preference for worship is the correct one. And this manifests itself in several ways that we must be careful to avoid. Notice here she starts off, she goes, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. Basically what she's saying, going, you know, Jesus, I think I see you're a prophet, but I got a problem with you. See, we need to do it like they did it in old times. They got it right. You know, the Bible tells us six separate times to sing a new song unto the Lord. Why is that? Like, why not once? Once should be enough, right? Why six separate times? Well, because like this woman, I can't have a relationship with God through the past or those who've gone before me. I need to have my own relationship with God, which requires my own Red Sea experiences and my own songs of deliverance afterwards. That's required. Otherwise, you're not growing. See, revival has always been accompanied by new music from God's people. Because if you keep longing for old times and to revisit old experiences with God alone, then I must ask the question, what new things is God doing in your life? I'm not saying that you you don't have to relate to a new generation style of music. You don't have to paint your hair red and get a mohawk and be like, I'm ready to worship now. That's not what I'm saying here. You don't have to relate to a new generation style to find new gems that express your current growth in the Lord. I hear people say all the time, oh, these new songs, they're not very deep. Yeah, well, neither was Trust and Obey. Neither was My Anchor Holds. You can critique every period of history. For a period, the Gregorian chants were all that we're in, okay? There's always been different styles and different ways of doing worship. And you can find things about it that were great, things about it that might need to grow a little bit more. But it doesn't mean that one was better than the other. See, it was your forefather's God that was awesome, not their musical technique or style or environment. And that God, guess what? He's still awesome today, amen? He's still awesome today. Well, she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. (laughs) This is another thing we need to be careful to avoid. That true worship requires a certain setting or a certain environment. Do you know why we switch it up here sometimes? Besides the fact I like to keep people guessing. We switch it up here because I don't ever want us to get cramped into any specific thing. I don't ever want us to begin to worship worship. Because that's not what we're here to worship. We're not here to go, ooh, the lights and the sound and this and that and the other thing or the voices of the people or that specific song, whether it's old or new or whatever. That's not what we're here to do. Whether your preference is for new or old songs, reserved or rowdy environments, quiet reflection or shouts of praise, if we make these things the focus when we sing, we've begun to worship worship rather than Jesus. See, none of these things and all of these things are worship if my heart is fixed on Jesus. You say, but oh, that's distracting. If we do it that way, it's distracting. Well, maybe for you, but not for someone else. Oh, but that's boring. If we go and do it that way, it's boring. Maybe for you, but not for someone else. So how about we take our focus off what we like and start thinking about what he likes? Because here's the truth, and I don't mean to offend when I say this, but you are not going to get to choose the worship style or the worship environment in heaven. 
And here's the thing, guys. You don't get to show up after the singing's over if you don't like it. You're going to get there, and you're not going to be able to put something in the complaint box and say, could we have a few more hymns? Could we do more Hillsong stuff? Could we do? You're not going to be able to do that because the Lord, he's going to have it set up the way he wants it. Well, I'm just not coming to worship today. That's not how it's going to work either. I don't like it. You know, they got a punk band up there. This, you know, I, we need more Saturday nights, you know. And, and, no, it, no, it's, it's going to be what he wants. And, and you're going to have to like it whether you like it or not. But the last part here, and this is a part that hits me the most. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. This us versus them mentality, when it comes to conversations about worship music or worship environments today in the church. That mentality is awful. It's carnal. It's sinful. There is no us versus them in the body of Christ. It's not the old generation against the young generation. It's not the ladies against the guys. It's it's none of those things. There's one body and we're on the same team. And I can't say to the man who has an amazing gift to sing, it is well, that, that I don't need you. I, in the same way, I can't say to the woman who has a gift playing amazing licks on the electric guitar for Jesus, I don't need you either. The truth is, we need each other. And the love that we have for one another, which prefers others above ourselves, is how the world knows that we truly belong to Jesus, right? That's what God has called us to when it concerns worship. So with that in mind... I would like to return to the end of Exodus 15. Oh, actually, no. I've got a few more things to say here. Jesus, verse 21, he said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. I think this is amazing. You know what Jesus answers her worship argument? He says, listen, worship arrangements change over time, gal. That's what he's telling her. Worship arrangements and environments change over time. And, And it's God's will for that to take place. You know, there, there were maybe, you know, 150 years ago, what we do here wouldn't work. But, but they would do something else, but it works for us. Verse 22, Jesus also says this, you worship, you know not what. That's a pretty heavy statement, isn't it? You're an ignorant worshiper is what he's saying to her. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. What he's saying is worship must always be in accordance with God's commands. You know, we should never worship outside of God's commands. People say, well, what would you let us do during worship? Well, I don't care if you raise your hands. I don't care if you sit, if you kneel, if you stand. I don't care about any of those things. I don't care if you say hallelujah and amen, whatever. But don't, don't start barking like a dog because that's not in the word. You know, don't start doing things that, that aren't in the scripture because at that point, there's going to be some ushers that come down and they're going to take you out because that's not of the Lord. We're not going to do things that are not of the Lord. We're not going to knock people over because the Bible doesn't talk about that. It doesn't have anything to say about that. So worship must always be in accordance with God's commands. And then Jesus says, but the hour comes, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father, I love this, in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is both emotional and intellectual. It's both. I see, we need songs that make us think more. You're right, we do. We need songs that make us feel more too, though. I've heard people say, you know, all these worship songs are designed to generate emotion. Well, yeah, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and our mind. Mind is one component there. There are other elements to that too. Our emotions are part of that. 
Now, worship should not just be something where we're not engaged intellectually. When we sing songs, we should be thinking about what we're singing. Like when we sing that song, you are, you are the matchless king, there should be a thought in my heart, Lord, you are in charge. You are the one who reigns. You are the one who calls the shots, and I surrender to you. That, that should be running through my mind as I'm singing it. If I'm just singing it, and that's not, I mean, not exactly that, but if something not akin to that is not running through your mind, you're not really worshiping. So it's both emotional and intellectual. Well, the woman said unto him, well, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ, and when he comes, he'll figure all this stuff out. And Jesus said unto her, listen, I that speak unto you am he. And this is, I think, really important, guys. Worship is for Jesus, not for you and me. You know, he says, lady, you don't have to wait to worship. I'm here right now. I'm here right now. And, and really, when it comes down to it, it is the person of our God. He is the one that we are worshiping. That is what we're here for. That's why we sing. It's why we speak and say the things that we say. Because, you know, when the song and dance is over, back in Exodus chapter 15, turn back there with me. When the song and dance is over, God, the chapter doesn't end here. And I always wondered why. I'm like, Lord, why didn't they make a chapter break at the end of verse 21? It seems logical. But there's a reason I think that the you know, composers of our scripture, they didn't put a chapter break there. And it's because I believe God speaks of true worship. The heart that should behind, be behind all expressions of worship. One that trusts God and longs to obey him. And here we find four principles. I'm going to leave you with this real quickly. And then we're going we're gonna to try to put it into practice. The four principles that are the heart of worship. What worship is really about. Verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness or the desert of Shur. This was a desert area with a caravan route that would lead all the way to Palestine, but they're moving away from the route and into the desert, actually. And, and it mentions that as they were three days into this journey, that's a long time, it says they found no water. And they erupted into praise. No. Where's the singing now? See, the first component, first, first principle that is the heart of true worship is that it's to be consistent in good or bad times. That's why the New Testament calls it a sacrifice of praise. It says Jesus went outside the camp to worship the Lord by giving him his life in ransom. We should follow him outside the camp and offer up to him the sacrifice of praise. It's an offering sometimes. You know, whether things are good or bad, I should be singing to him. I should be ta- telling him these things in my prayer life. I should be thinking about those things and declaring those things because that's what real worship is, when it's good or when it's bad. The second principle is that worship is the opposite of complaining. And when they came to Merah, which means bitter, they could not drink of the water of Merah for they were bitter or poisonous. They, were, you know, they would make them sick. Therefore, the name of it was called bitter. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? They didn't come to this and say, oh, hallelujah, praise Jesus. I guess, you know, we're gonna have to find another way. God's gonna provide. There's no singing going on here. They began to grumble against and blame Moses for their problem instead of looking to the Lord. But see, the heart of worship, it's the opposite of complaining and God always seeks to direct my complaining to worship. Thirdly, The heart of worship is tested by our lives. For it says here in verse 25, so Moses cried unto the Lord and the Lord showed him or directed him to a tree. I don't know how big the tree was, but he directed him to this tree in which when he had thrown it into the waters, the waters were made sweet so they could drink. 
And there God made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there, what does it say? He proved them. The word there, proved, means to cause or allow hardship in order to reveal one's true nature. See, our attitude of worship is tested by life, not by how reverent or excited we are during song time. You can come here and you can jump up and down. You can sing with all your heart. But if you go out and you're disobedient or you're going out there and you're, you know, God puts a test in front of you and you just go and do whatever you want and you complain and moan, then I don't really know what the singing was good for. See, the singing is supposed to be the culmination of that, that God has brought trials into our lives and we're saying, Lord, I trust you in the midst of these trials. Lastly, the heart of worship. It is not singing of trust and obedience but it's a life of trust and obedience. Notice that in verse 26, Moses doesn't say, now start singing again, that will fix everything. (laughs) See, he reveals what true worship really looks like. He says, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and you will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, he says, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. He says, if you'll hearken to my voice, the Lord's voice, the word there means to take the time to hear and meditate on what God says. Why meditate? Well, because you need to figure out how God's words apply to your life, to think about them, to process them. And then after you've done that, to do what he says, to obey what you have heard and what you've been meditating on. See, the heart behind all of our expressions of worship should be a life of trust and obedience. Because the truth is, right around the corner from here, God had a really cool place for them to go. For verse 27 says, And they came to Elam. We don't know where it was, but it sounds pretty awesome. Because there were not one well of water that was sweet or good, but 12 wells of water. And not only that, but they got some shade, 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. That was right around the corner. Like if they just kept walking and trusting God, they would have come there. But see, the Lord was trying to teach them something. I tested you to see if the songs that you were singing really reflected your heart life. And it shows that they didn't. So I need you to learn this lesson. The heart of worship, it's consistent in good times and bad times. It's the opposite of complaining. It's tested by our lives. And it's a life, not a song, but a life of trust and obedience. And so we're going to take the time to sing some songs now. I'm going to invite the worship band back up and and we're going to sing quite a few songs, you know, until our normal time. But, but as we do that, I want to encourage you. You know, maybe you've got something going on. When we talk about worship, we talked about these principles in regards to what we're about to do right now. We're going to sing. But I hope that more than singing takes place when we do this. I hope that if you're in your heart, you've been complaining about stuff, you've had things that you've been frustrated with, that this would be a time to change that to now thankfulness, where you take those struggles and you yield them to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to worship you now. I don't want to complain. I want to have a heart that is consistently thankful for all that you've done for me. That whether you're going through good times or bad times, that you offer up to him a sacrifice of praise. Or maybe you're going through a test right now where the Lord has brought some trials into your life. Now's the time to to make whatever commitment it is that you need to make, to say to the Lord, say, Lord, I surrender to you. Or Lord, I'm gonna trust you in this area. And then lastly, as we sing, maybe there's an area where you've been being disobedient or maybe you've been putting off obedience. And as you sing, I want you to give that area to the Lord. As we do that, there may be a time where Maybe you might even just listen to the song as you're kind of talking to the Lord in your mind. What my heart is, is, and and I pray that 
all of our worship time from this time forward will be like this because song time really isn't worship time if we're not doing what I just talked about. It can be easy to forget God's goodness and graciousness during a storm. We must choose to worship God in the good and in the bad, knowing that He uses both in our lives for our benefit and for His glory. Perhaps you are in a season where it is hard to be thankful to the Lord, or you may feel like God's blessings have run out on your life. But that is not true. God is still with us, and we will never finish singing of His goodness and faithfulness to our lives. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, don't be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando. Call 407-523-0800 during our usual office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.